I said in the, your word to the pastor, that opinion is profoundly ignorant. It manifests no understanding whatever in the differences of religious systems in general and massive ignorance of, in particular, of our creator, the triune. The word triune means triunity. The triune God revealed in the scriptures. In our day, the average self-identifying Christian tends to have a somewhat muddled, that's putting it mildly, a somewhat muddled view of the person of God. I do not want to let that pass. That's why I'm coming back to this. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Although most, I think, would affirm, as apostolic Christianity always has, that God exists in three persons, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, not too many. One can explain what that means. Ask yourself, can I explain what that means? That's why we're talking about it. And secondly, fewer yet can explain why it matters. Why does it even matter? Sure, I believe in the Trinity. Why does it matter? I used to tell my students when for 21 years I was trying to teach them how to preach. Don't ever talk about a subject, and you know I'm very religious about this. Don't ever, don't you ever get in the pulpit and talk about a subject that you can't tell people the Monday morning significance of. If you don't know why that's significant on Monday morning, shut up and go to something else until you figure it out. That's right. And now here I am going to be talking about that very subject this morning. So why does it matter? Tomorrow morning, why does it matter that you affirm it and that you as a self-identifying Christian that you believe it. And that's a bigger problem than you might think. Why is that? Because as many of you have heard me say time and again from this pulpit or in subgroups, what I heard one of my professors say in seminary, gentlemen, you will act the way you believe. Think about that and you will. If you believe the wrong thing, eventually that'll play out in your feet, in your hands, and your lips. It'll eventually play out there. If you don't believe the right thing, that'll show up too. And this is one of those. And so before I'm finished here, you will know why it matters on Monday morning that you deeply believe that and affirm it. And first of all, that you have a better idea if you don't have a, a more fully blossomed idea of what it means the Trinity, that is. Behavior follows belief like the tail follows the dog. It always does. If I do not believe in the law of gravity, I may jump off a cliff if I do not think it matters. My granddaughter, Ashley, who's now married and having children of her own, she was a gymnast when she was young, all-American gymnast. She was very good. Uh, but one thing that helped her is she had no sense of the law of gravity. <laughs> she really didn't. I'd see her do things and I'd think, Ashley, honey, there is a law of gravity. And sometimes when you don't have an appreciation of certain things, uh, it can play out for bad or worse. In her case, luckily, it worked out better. If you don't think some of these things matter, uh, try telling your wife that you got her pair of scales for Christmas. 
or give her a membership to a fitness club. What you believe matters. Yet there are great limits to our ability to get our heads around the nature of God. Our God is way too small if we think we can grasp his greatness. So as the great church father, Augustine once said, of those who thought they knew too much about the magnitude of our God, if you can understand it, it's not God. Now, I'm doing something up here that I, your pastor, do not fully understand. Nobody here does, nobody anywhere. The subject is way too big. But we're going to try to do the best we can with it. When it comes to the Trinity, the triune God, there's no place for keep it simple, stupid. Yet most people just want to keep it real. Say, oh, there's God. What does it matter? There's God. God loves us. And that's good enough for me. Let's not get into that stuff. If you don't get into that stuff, you're going to be in trouble at some point. The essence of the life and message of Jesus Christ, somebody will say, is that God loves us. And many would add, he just wants to salvage us, is available to us to help us break out into the fullness of what else do we need to know a lot. So let me give you, <clears throat> let me give you a formulation. This is my friend Bruce Ware's formula. David, I need something much stronger. It's called Jack Daniels. <laughs> Thank you, brother. I'll, I'll try that. Something may help a little. Always hated to see preachers up here preaching and drinking. Now, now I'm doing it. Oh, that must go over great on a streaming service. Okay, that'll be the last drink. Okay, this is my friend Bruce Ware's formulation in his book, The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So listen, the Trinity, what are we talking about? And then I'll get into why does it matter? There is one and only one God eternally existing and fully expressed in three distinct persons, the Father, Son, and Spirit. Now listen, each member of the Trinity is each member, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is equally God. Each is eternally God, and each is fully God. Not three persons, but three persons in one Trinity, in one essence, each person is equal in essence, just as each possesses fully the identically same eternal divine nature. Ooh. Yet each is an eternal and distinct personal expression of the one undivided divine nature. You got all that? Can you repeat it back? The idea is there's one essence 
but there are three identical persons in that essence, Father, Son, and Spirit. Each one is eternally God, and each one is identically the same, but their functions are not the same. The functions are not the same. The essence is the same. Now, let's talk about why that really matters. First of all, if I can keep my head together, it really matters. Think about this. Go back to that statement I said for some people say, oh, they're just one God. <clears throat> one God, just under different names. You've heard it said, haven't you? You can't make that stuff up. Could anybody have ever made up that conception of God? Nobody could ever would have. That comes by revelation. The revelation of the scriptures. So when somebody wants to say of the Christian God, it's just another God under a different name. There is no other conception of God known to man. That is like that conception, is there? Nothing even resembles that. The Christian God is absolutely unique. There's nothing like him. Somebody will say you'll get in these comparative religion classes in college, and they'll say, well, this like Islam. This is a monotheistic religion. It may be, but doesn't compare to the conception of the Christian God. Doesn't compare. That's one reason it matters, because it differentiates the Christian God from all other gods massively. There's another reason why it really matters. It matters because without it, there could be no redemption. Jesus Christ Jesus Christ is deity in the flesh bodily. And unless he is God, he cannot save us. Somebody says, I don't understand that. Well, let me see if I can pull my mind together. A little brain fog. Let me pull it together and say this. Another human being could not die for us and atone for our sins. Do you understand that? In order to be an atoning sacrifice for my sins, it must be somebody of infinite worth. It cannot be another human being because they're as guilty as I am. So there has to be a second person who is also deity. You get that? And that's Jesus, the Son of God. Colossians 2, 9 tells us that in him, deity, fullness of deity is expressed bodily. And that has to be. There is, there is no other Savior. So you have to have a trinity. Now, 
Let's go on to those other panels up there, guys. That may help me stay tracked. Uh, I hope you can read that. I can read it from here. Can you folks read that up there? Okay, we're halfway there. We got half of you in on this. Uh, there is one, there is one and only God, not a plurality of gods. That's the consistent testimony of the scriptures. And I'll give you several passages there which make that very clear. Jesus is never identified with God in such a way that while he's on earth, the throne of heaven is vacated. For Jesus speaks of the Father and the Spirit as persons other than himself. John 6, 7 through 14. Let's read that. John chapter 16, 7 through 14. I'll get there in a moment. I tell you the truth, he tells his disciples, it's for your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, referring to his ascent back into heaven, the helper, meaning the Holy Spirit, the comforter, will not come to you, but I will send him to you. He's differentiating between himself and the Spirit. But he, when he comes, here's what the Spirit will do. He will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment of sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father, differentiating between himself and the Father. And you no longer behold me, and concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. You see them all differentiated in that text. But he, when the Spirit of truth comes, that's the Holy Spirit, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will disclose to you. And then he says this of the spirit. Get this verse. He will glorify me and he will take of mine and disclose it to you. That'll be the work of the Holy Spirit. Do you notice these days? There are so many things, so many things that are so confused in our various churches. Do you notice how many people glorify the Spirit rather than glorify Jesus? I mean, all you hear about is the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is God, and he's not to be defamed. But at the same time, the work of the Holy Spirit when he came into the world is to exalt Jesus. The Father wants that. The Holy Spirit wants that. And so that's what he does. That is his work. The three are differentiated. He will glorify me. He will take of mine and disclose it to you. Let's go. Well, you don't have those other verses up there. That's my fault. Okay. Jesus speaks of the Father as one other than himself. And he prays to the Father as in the end he commends his spirit to God and of sending his spirit to help us in his earthly absence. So you see that differentiation there. So it matters that we 
Let's go to the next panel. Go to the next one. Not that one. I'm going to skip it. What is at stake in the doctrine of the Trinity? All right, give me the next panel. The reliability of the Scriptures as the authoritative Word of God. If there's no Trinity, then cancel. Cancel. Because it's what it teaches. Secondly, the gospel message that God so loved the world that he gave us his son. The incarnation, Jesus coming into the world as a baby, as the son of God, cancel. It's not true. His death on the cross is irrelevant. It's useless. If he's not the son of God, his sacrifice is not adequate to atone for our sins. Fourthly, the uniqueness of the God of the Bible. I've already pointed that out. Number five, gone is the possibility of human fellowship with God in the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. There's no Holy Spirit, God the Spirit, to indwell you. You don't have it. All of that's gone. And then here's another matter. It's a philosophical interest. Now, I'm not here. In fact, today I'm not even capable of giving you a, physic, a philosophical lesson. I'm hardly capable of giving any lesson today. <clears throat> but in philosophy, it has led to a philosophical dead end. It's pretty skeptical about itself today in the whole field of philosophy. One of the problems that philosophers have dealt with age after age is the problem of unity and diversity. They can't find a connection. No wonder they can't find a connection because they don't know God and they don't understand the Trinity. The problem of unity and diversity. In the Trinity, you have the secret of unity and diversity. Diversity in functions, unity in essence. It's not there. And in the Trinity, you see perfect community and harmony, which is God's ideal for us in the Trinity. Perfect unity and harmony between the members of the Trinity. So there is the Monday morning significance of the Trinity. If you don't believe it, you've derailed the whole Christian faith. In fact, you've derailed religion in general. So it's very, very important. Let's go to the next panel. Now, when it comes to prayer, I don't mean heaven has a hernia when we pray and somebody says, Dear Jesus, ah, you got that wrong. Shut the door. Don't listen. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying heaven has an order when we pray, and we ought to know that order. When you and I pray, we pray to the Father. We pray in the name of Jesus to the Father. We pray through the Holy Spirit. Give me the next panel. The Spirit came to glorify Jesus. Some today invert that divine order and seek to glorify the Spirit. Let's move on. The Holy Spirit is the author of the Word, and He illuminates for believers what He reveals in this Word. I had a lady, you've heard me say this, those of you who are regular here, still shocks me to this day, sitting in my office, and... I was urging her because she was getting way off track. I was urging her to get in the Bible and read the Bible, as I urge all of you, get in God's Word. Whatever else you do, get in God's Word. 
And she looked up from her chair just across from me and she said, why do we need the Bible? We've got the spirit. And she was all caught up with these signs and wonders people. There's the answer. It is the spirit of God who spoke through holy men of old. And what they wrote is recorded and preserved by the spirit right here. And it is the spirit who then takes this word and illuminates the spirit who dwells in us. God, the Holy Spirit, illuminates his word. That's how he glorifies Jesus. Illuminates his word, reveals it to us. Well, he's the one who convicts, convinces, and converts by means of his word. I could stand up here and preach and preach until I sweat blood. And I would just be a bag of gas in a three-piece suit. Well, a sports coat. That's, that's all I would be. That's all I would be. I can't convert, uh, convict, convince and convert a person on the face of the earth. Not one. No chance. No chance, whatever. Because there is a spiritual block that is in the minds of all people. A spiritual block. They're blind. They cannot see. And no human being is charismatic enough, persuasive enough, convincing enough that could ever break through that, ever. There's one difference maker. That is God, the Holy Spirit, who came into the world to glorify Jesus. And he comes into the world and he convicts, he convinces, and he converts. And it's the Spirit of God that gets on a person's conscience and says, you're wrong, you know. He is who he said he was. He's the one that gets in the heart and says, you're lost, you know. You are a sinner, you know. You really are. You need a Savior. You need his forgiveness. It's he that does that. Not me, not you, not anybody. I can get all sweaty, turn somersaults and drink water, come back up again for more and go at you again. We can sing 189 verses of just as I am without one plea. We'll never convert anybody. It's only the Spirit of God who does it. Jesus says, He's going, I'm going to send him into the world, and this will be his work. It's an order. It's an economy. There's agreement among the members of the Trinity who does what, and this is that order. He's the one who convicts, convinces, and converts by means of his word. So to neglect the word is to bypass the work of the Holy Spirit. That's the Monday morning significant. If you don't get in the Word, you're bypassing that work of the Spirit of God. That is a very, very bad thing. So, I hope I've explained to you well enough what the Holy Spirit, what the Trinity is, differentiated between the members of the Trinity and explained to you why it's all so important. Very important that we believe it, that we affirm it, embrace it. You will hear out there. I do not like to mention names. I could. I got a whole roster of names that I could mention. And as, clo as I close this, you say thankfully. But a whole roster of names that I could give you that you run across regularly. I... I just resist doing that, although the Apostle Paul did it. They have precedent for it in the Scriptures.
but I just feel that maybe I'd go the wrong direction if I went that, but I want to say that it grieves me when once in a while I get on Facebook. I don't write much on Facebook. I get on there, and I see people I know and love recommending this person or that person to the public. And I say, oh, my goodness. Do you know who you're pushing? Do you know the crowd you're pumping up? People, we've got to be more discerning. A lot of these people are modalist. They are sabellians. You say, what is that? Well, there are people out there. I mean, they have thousands and thousands of followers. They do not believe in the Trinity but they're self-identifying Christians. They are not Christians. Listen, my name is James. It's Jim. All kinds of people out there named James, but I wouldn't identify with them just because their name is James. We've got to be more discerning. Find out who you're pushing. Find out who you're promoting. And if they do not believe, a lot of them, they're selling a bazillion books they don't know Jesus Christ from a bunny rabbit. So be careful. When you put your arms around some of these people, you've got to be more careful today because it's a trail mix out there. Some self-identifying Christians are Christians and many are not. And many of them have big names and they're powerful. They're just bad news. And then they mix up with one another. I do not understand a lot of these pastors who themselves are sound and they go on some of these networks like TBM, I will mention that, or that Daystar. They go in there and I say, oh, Jack, what are you doing there? Because you're there with these people who deny the faith. They deny the Trinity and other things. When you lend your name and your presence, your good name and your presence to that, you are in effect anointing these other people. We've got to be careful. So I hope your takeaway from this is you know why the Trinity is important and you have a better understanding of what the Trinity is. And maybe a few other things I've said in between. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your revelation it is by your revelation that we know the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And we thank you so much that he showed us that and he left a record of what he taught and who he is and what his purpose is in the world. We pray that we may embrace the same one. We may embrace the truth and keep us from error. We know, our Father, that the enemy wants to distort the truth. And he always wants to downgrade you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we close, let me say one other thing. This is a footnote to the message. You remember this, that in all error, what Satan wants to do, and he's done it, is to downgrade Jesus. And he does that in denying the Trinity in a thousand other ways. Watch out for people who downgrade Jesus. There are all kinds of people out there, I forgot to mention this, who knows what else I forgot, 
There are all kinds of people out there, I could name names, I won't, who are telling who are telling you that Jesus did not become God. Now get this, what a contradiction. He did not become God until his baptism, or some say his resurrection. How do you become the eternal God at a certain point in time? And we've got perfectly intelligent people who just sit in front of these people and go gaga. It is lunacy, but they're all over the place. And they say that you are just like Jesus. And all you're missing that Jesus had is the same faith that he had. You could do everything that he did. They downgrade him. That's what Satan always wants to do when he denies the Trinity is downgrade Jesus. That's the bottom of it. All right, don't throw tomatoes. You're dismissed. (laughs) 